Could I invite you to have open uh, before you that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We, we read the first, uh, first nine verses there of the chapter. I want to begin by just thanking uh, a number of people who have helped us uh, with our harvest celebrations this weekend. Uh, thank you to the guys who put on such a, a wonderful evening on Friday night. Uh, down at the Mount, the harvest in the city meal. Uh, we had a, a great time there, those of us who, who managed to get along to that. Uh, thanks to for those who came yesterday morning to, to bring uh, stuff down to the church and also to those who, who helped to, to actually set it out and decorate it so beautifully for us. Uh, and also a thank you to Julie and to Dave and the musicians and singers all who are involved in today's service who are helping us to open our hearts in gratitude to God. The Bible, as Dave reminded us, speaks a lot about harvest, and we've been thinking about that already this morning and in the last couple of days. On a related theme, it speaks a lot about growth. Uh, Before there can be a harvest, there, there has to be growth. And so Jesus, whenever he taught the crowds what what the kingdom of God is like, what this this life that he calls us to is like, he often used images of, uh, of growth. So he talked to a, a crowd one day and he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. He, he went on to say that some of the, the seed didn't flourish because it fell on a, on a path or on rocky ground or among weeds. But he goes on, still other th- seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop or, or we might say this morning a harvest a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus loved using these metaphors of seed and growth and of harvest in his teaching. So for example, there's the parable of the weeds where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. It's quite a weird story. It's a a story of agricultural sabotage. Seed is sown, somehow corrupted, but finally harvested. And again, it's a story of seed, growth, and harvest. You'll remember the story of the mustard seed. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants. It's another growth story. So Jesus loves to describe life with him in terms of, of seeds growing. Why is that? He could have talked about life with him in in any way that he he chose to. Well, I'm sure it was in part to connect with his audience. Jesus was the master communicator. So whenever he approached uh, a community of farmers, people involved in agriculture, he would use the images of of farming, of of crops, of harvest, those, those images that they would understand. I'm sure that's true. But I think there's more to it than that. I think it's because of the appropriateness of these images in the end. It's that life with God really is an organic, growing 
thing. Growth is what God does. God makes things grow. That's exactly what Paul says in the passage we have just read this morning. Look at verse 6. Paul picks up on this, this biblical theme, this biblical metaphor, and he runs with it. He, he speaks in the same kind of language that Jesus uh, we saw a moment ago speaks to. He starts speaking about seeds being planted and about growth happening, and he's talking particularly about the growth of, of the people of God in Corinth. Before he gets to talking about growth, he actually says something, something hard. There's a problem. He says they're not growing, the people he's writing to. The people he had led to faith in Corinth, his friends in the city, weren't growing in the way that they should. Look at verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Very quickly, remember the argument so far in Corinthians. Paul's having to confront these believers in Corinth because they think they've grown to maturity, but they haven't. They're into to wisdom. They're into deeper theological insights and, and higher spiritual highs. They've moved beyond the humble teachings of their, their founder, Pastor Paul. They've moved on from the foolishness of the gospel, the message of Jesus and him crucified. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, you think you've grown, but you haven't. You think you're mature, but you're babies. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He says, do you want to know why I fed you on, on basic teaching, the kind of thing that you'd give to a baby? It's because you were babies in the faith. I gave you milk. It was all that you could handle but here's the thing, you're still babies. Look at what he says in verse 3, you're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? When one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? The Corinthians thought they had reached a level of maturity with their greater theological insights, their revelations from God, their, their demonstrations of the Spirit's power. But Paul sees it differently. He says that they're, they're clearly immature. He can tell that from their, their quarreling. He can tell that from their jealousy. Maturity, in the end, shows itself in relationships. People who love well. We're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning just thinking for a second about growth, our growth in God. And we're going to answer just two questions about this growth. Firstly, where does it come from? And secondly, what's it going to produce in our lives? So back to that first question, where does growth come from? Well, Paul addresses the question in the rest of our passage this morning. To a community that's arguing about which celebrity pastor they ought to follow, he says, no, it's not about personalities. They can't make a single person grow. Look at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. Paul says, these pastors, I, I, I'm one of them. We were simply doing our job. 
I planted this seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So that seems to have been the pattern in Corinth. Paul was the first who went there, the founder pastor. Apollos followed on. He, he watered the seed that Paul had sown. But, says Paul, the moment, the, the moment that Dave was describing to the kids, the, the moment of magic where, this, where the things come together and, and life comes, that's something that only God can do. When we began our, our series in 1 Corinthians, we noticed something right at the outset. Chapter 1, verse 2. Paul refers to the church in Corinth as the church of God in Corinth. The church isn't his, even though he's the founding pastor. It doesn't belong to Apollos, even though he seems to be the acting pastor. It's the church of God. And here we're beginning to see, well, why that is. It's God's church because only God can bring the growth and the life that we need. Only he can do that. We saw last week that you can't understand the mind of God unless God gives his spirit and and opens our eyes to see it. Without the work of God's spirit, I cannot accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified will remain foolishness to me if God doesn't open my eyes to see that. Without the work of God in my life, I won't grow no matter what else I do. Friends, I think this has implications for us in the kind of Christian culture that we live in today with celebrity pastors and high-profile ministries. We can read John Piper's books and podcast Tim Keller's sermons and surf the net for all sorts of of wonderful resources. By the way, I think we probably should. But these preachers and their preaching can't bring about any growth in my life or in yours. If we grow through the ministry of others, it'll only be because God chooses to work through what they're doing and and to bring the growth to it. And folks, this has implications for our ongoing life here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. You know by now, I think, that I'm 100% committed to planting the gospel seed and to water it by faithful teaching of God's word. But I can't bring about one tiny little bit of growth, not, not, a, not a bit. The best I can do is, is, is try to create the conditions where that growth could happen. And the best I can do is stay out of God's road as he brings growth into your life and mine. Friends, if we grow, it'll only be because God comes. Because he takes the seed that's been planted and the tending that's been done and, and works in it and through it. God, says Paul in verse 6, is the one who makes things grow. So we've said that pastors and super pastors can't bring about growth, but there's another implication I think here, this truth that God brings the growth. 
we can't make ourselves grow. We can't. We can't achieve growth in spiritual maturity. We might practice the spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and of Bible study, of, of meditation and of fasting, but none of these in themselves can bring any growth. Growth is a gift. Real growth in God is every bit as much a gift as, as that seed that bursts into life when water and sun fall on it. We receive growth as a gift from God. Let me elaborate on that for a moment. Because the, the spiritual disciplines are important. Christians who grow tend to be those who do read their Bibles and pray, who, who meditate on God's Word, who take time for silence and for Sabbath. Those disciplines are important but they're important in an indirect way. In themselves, they don't bring about growth, but what they tend to do is open our lives. They, they open us up to receive from God the growth that he wants to bring us. So the first thing, where does growth come from? It comes from God. And the second thing about growing in God what will this produce in our lives? What should we expect if we're really growing in the Holy Spirit? Well, according to Paul, if we're growing in the Spirit, we'll avoid the kinds of things that he talks about early in chapter 3, jealousy and quarreling of the immature Christians in Corinth. Higher spiritual highs and deeper theological insights, they themselves aren't the mark of Christian growth. The sign that we're growing in the Spirit, in the way that God wants us to grow, is that we have a bigger vision of Jesus. There's a conversation in C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles, which I think illustrates this beautifully. It happens in the fourth book, in Prince Caspian. And there's a scene depicting Lucy's first encounter with Aslan in that particular story. She's met Aslan before, famously, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that's the story that tells of her first visit to Narnia. So when she meets him again, after what seems like a long time, the conversation goes like this. Aslan, dear Aslan, at last. And she gazes up into his wise, large face. Welcome, child, he says. Aslan, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, he answers. Not because you are. No, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. I think C.S. Lewis teaches us a wonderful truth here in this simple scene. As, as Lucy returns to this world that she loves and she comes into the presence of the one that she loves so much, the first thing that she notices is that, is that he's bigger. And that's what we should expect if we're growing in our life with God. 
every year we grow, Jesus becomes bigger in our mind's eye. We're drawn more and more to his person. As we read the Gospels and see what kind of a person he was, we're drawn more and more to follow him and to be like him. We're more and more struck by the the, the scale of his kindness and his mercy and his work on the cross for us. We find God bigger as we grow. It's not that he's grown. It's that we see more and more and more. Whenever we grow, God seems bigger. Let me close this morning. It's harvest time, and we want to thank God for the harvest. I, I think that's a difficult thing for us to do in, in our modern lives where we're so far removed from, from agriculture, from all that, that brings us the harvest. But let's, let's do that today as best we can. Let's be, be grateful to God for all that he's given us. God's made a huge, a huge provision for, for that variety of physical needs that we have. How best, in the end, do we thank him? Is it, is it not by opening our lives to him? To receiving the growth that he wants to bring to us? Isn't it by receiving the gift of growth that only he can bring? Isn't it being ready to enlarge our vision of him and who he is? Ask, and it will be given to you, Jesus says. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. This harvest time, let's, let's recommit ourselves to ensuring that our lives are a fertile soil. So that when the seed of God's word is planted, when it's, when it's watered, by the promptings of God's Holy Spirit, that it'll take root and it'll grow. And it'll bring a great, great harvest, 30, 60, or 100 times more than what was ever planted. Let's join together and let's pray. Father God, we've remembered here today that you are the only one who brings growth. Lord, you've grown all the beautiful flowers and crops, fruit and vegetable that we see around us here today. Only you can do that. None of us can make a single thing grow. Lord, only you can bring about real growth in our lives. Lord, as you plant the seed of your word, as you water it and allow it to grow. Lord, we pray that you would make us into people who who long to receive from you the growth that you want to give us in our lives. Lord, help us to prepare the ground for you. Where the ground of our hearts is like a hard, 
off-trodden path where the seed just bounces off the surface. Lord, break it up. Plow it. Turn it over and make it soft for you. Lord, where the ground of our hearts is shallow, there's too much superficiality. Where we aren't willing to to open ourselves in a deep way to you. Lord, we pray that you would go deep, that you would remove those rocks and stones that, that hinder us, and that you would probe deep into our lives and our hearts. Lord, where the ground of our hearts is, is full of weeds, where we're full of distraction, full of things that take our eye off you, Lord, weed it out. Make the, make the soil deep and rich, ready for the seed of your word to bring new life to us. Lord, we pray that growing in you would be the greatest desire of our hearts, receiving the gift of growth that you long to bring to us. Lord, may there be a rich, rich harvest in this place in lives that are productive for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.